From VOA, Press Conference USA, here is your host, Carol Castiel. Welcome to Press Conference USA on The Voice of America, our topic on this edition of the program, The Crisis in Haiti. Our guest, Keith Mines, director of the Latin American program at the U.S. Institute of Peace here in Washington. An unfathomable reality, an absolutely nightmarish situation for the population, and a humanitarian catastrophe. This is how the current scenario in Haiti is being described by its prime minister, the U.N. Secretary General, and aid agencies, respectively. VOA U.N. correspondent Margaret Bashir reported that Haiti's foreign minister appealed to the U.N. Security Council on October 17 to assist his country given the deteriorating security, political, and socioeconomic situation, as well as the reemergence of cholera. He said the Caribbean island nation is dealing with major challenges, such as kidnappings, killings, rapes, theft, looting, and the destruction of public and private property, all of which are plunging the country further into chaos. Bashir writes that at the urging of interim Haitian Prime Minister Ariel Henry, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres is prevailing on the international community to consider sending an armed rapid reaction force to address gang violence, unblock the port, and allow for a humanitarian corridor to be established. The gangs are seeking to exploit the political vacuum left by the July 2021 assassination of President Juvenel Moise. UN Security Council members Mexico and the United States have drafted two resolutions for the council to consider, according to Margaret Bashir. The first would impose an arms embargo on the transfer or sale of weapons, travel bans, and financial sanctions on criminal actors responsible for gang violence, engaged in arms trafficking, kidnapping, and other human rights abuses. Gang members, specifically Jimmy Cherizier, also known as Barbecue, would be the subject of such sanctions. It would also hold accountable those who block Haiti's ports and the delivery of humanitarian aid. Barbecue is personally responsible for the devastating fuel shortage that is crippling the country, per U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., Linda Thomas-Greenfield. The second proposed resolution, writes Margaret Bashir, would address the Haitian request and the Secretary General's recommendation authorizing an international security assistance mission to help improve security and enable the movement of humanitarian aid. UN member states would be asked to contribute personnel, equipment, and other resources to this non-UN mission. Council members have expressed broad support for both resolutions. However, Russia's envoy expressed reservations, making a swift vote less likely. Well, on this edition of Press Conference USA, I speak with Keith Mines about the current state of play in Haiti. Keith joined USIP after a career at the State Department, where he was most recently director for Andean and Venezuelan Affairs. In 32 years of diplomatic and military service, Keith has worked on governance and institution building in Central America and Colombia, Middle East peace in Israel and the West Bank, post-conflict stabilization in Haiti, Iraq and Afghanistan, and much more. Keith has written extensively on post-conflict stabilization, peace building and negotiations and the roots of civil conflict. He is the author of Why Nation Building Matters, Political Consolidation, Building Security Forces and Economic Development in Failed and Fragile States. And Keith Mines joins us via Microsoft Teams. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Carol. It's good to be here. 
Well, Keith, without further ado, let me get you to weigh in on what is going on in Haiti. It's been more than a year and several months since the assassination of former President Juvenal Moise. And of course, Haiti continues to be embroiled in violence and political instability. What, in your view, is the connection between that event and the turmoil and gang violence we see today? Yeah, the assassination basically took uh, what was kind of a fragile governing structure that was not rich in legitimacy, did not have good popular support, and turned it into a, an all-out crisis by basically leading to a government that is in power now that has even less popular support and less legitimacy. And into the vacuum that followed, the gangs have exerted themselves. Now, this all came on the heels of a withdrawal of the U.S. U.N. mission for the most part. It was a reduction in 2017, when funding was cut by the United States, there was a huge reduction in the capacity of the UN mission, which had been bolstering a lot of the Haitian institutions. So on the heels of that, you then had the assassination two years later. And now we have a year of basically very weak governing, which has led to a kind of an emasculation of the security forces, if not a collapse of their capacity. And into that has flowed these gangs. Well, thank you for that terrific explanation. Talk about the more proximate cause of this recent bout of violence, the gang uh, violence. What precipitated that particular outbreak, particularly in the month of July? The gangs, they're, of course, vying for control of different parts of Port-au-Prince, a situation that I think is very similar to Somalia. And in fact, that's the only precedent I can think of where you have something like this, where gangs have basically gone beyond just criminal control. In Somalia, of course, it was a total collapse of the government into which gangs and warlords took over the country. This is not at that point. But it's similar in the sense that you had in the Somali situation, the use of food as a weapon, the political and economic weapon. And you've got that now in Haiti. And that's kind of unique in the hemisphere. I can't think of when this has ever happened. It's never happened in Haiti before. Even in the most dire crisis that Haiti has had, and they've had a lot, there's always been a certain humanitarian lifeline. And even in the worst days of dictatorship and transition and things. There was a humanitarian lifeline. There's lots of American and European groups that are very connected to Haiti, and those groups could still get around, get in, and deliver humanitarian assistance. So there's been times when Haitians have been hungrier than usual. There's always a bit of low intake of calories, frankly, in Haiti, but it's gotten to this crisis situation because this new gang warfare has led to a cutoff of the port, kind of holding the port hostage. That's where the fuel is. That's where food comes in and has a huge impact on water because so much of the country's water supply has to be delivered. So you've got this now, again, holding food and energy hostage by these gangs as they vie for control from each other and from society at large. And uh, that's what's led to the current crisis, which is really, again, unique, I think, in the hemisphere that we've got people on this level of, uh, it's now gone, according to the WFP, I think beyond acute malnutrition, it's now getting into the place of famine. But we just don't have that in the hemisphere. We've gone through civil wars in Colombia, Guatemala, and El Salvador. Peru had a very intense conflict for a long time. But the hemisphere is rich in soil and rain, and people can usually eat. So this is unique in that way, and that's what's really got people's attention finally. Cholera is the other thing that is, of course, breaking out. It's now, as I understand it, up to 2,000-plus cases. And cholera, of course, is the kind of disease that once it takes off, it really takes off. And that's the fear, is that once it starts to proliferate, then it takes on this really horrific situation where it will come around very quickly. Keith, thank you for placing Haiti's predicament within a more international perspective. 
comparing it to Somalia to some extent. That's fascinating. Let's go back to this gang violence and their rivalry and how it came to be. First of all, Keith Mines, with regard to the gang members controlling the ports, using food as a weapon, as you say, fuel, is that still continuing as we speak, especially in light of the UN sanctions that are going to be imposed. I wonder if they have taken effect and if they will, in fact, help to alleviate this terrible situation. There's a couple of dynamics in play here. One is that the gangs have been in the past connected to political factions or leaders, and that's been a very unholy dynamic that has made everything worse in some ways because they had a certain share of political power. And one of the things that I found with gangs is once they have a political opening, they'll exploit it. And we saw this in El Salvador, where gangs became this very powerful political player, and they they could use violence as a weapon for them to take and keep a certain amount of political power. That was the same thing with Pablo Escobar in Colombia, where he became a political player. It's a very dangerous dynamic because violence then becomes a currency of politics and something that is it's a hard thing to get out of. So the gangs in Haiti, they were fighting with each other for control over different things. And then they've kind of gone larger than that now, where they've, again, not just jostled among themselves, pushing back on whatever police are around, trying to co-opt the police and things like that. But they've gone beyond that, where, again, they've now got key infrastructure in their hands that they're using as a weapon. One of the statements that Barbecue made several weeks ago was that his price for alleviating this was immunity and to have a seat at the table, the political table. And it's a, it's a very difficult situation where a gang leader, a criminal, has worked his way up to have that kind of power. So again, it's no longer just fighting with each other for control of this or that road, which was bad enough because that was what was leading to a lot of the violence over the past few months. Now it's gone to kind of a new level. The sanctions, I think, will it be impactful? The default for us in the international community now is when there's not a a more robust option, we impose sanctions, and it maybe gets people's attention. It at least shows a certain level of seriousness or at least paying attention to something. But I think in this case, the impact it could have, again, if there's residual alliances between gangs and political leaders, it would probably serve to get people's attention there, and that could cut some of those ties. But I think those ties have been fraying. I think the gangs have gotten so powerful that they don't they don't so much need political actors on their side anymore. So that's probably less impactful. And I think when it comes down to it, the impact is they weigh their calculation and they're really in it now because once you're in this deep, there's not an easy way out. They have to think about being in jail in the United States or in Haiti. There's real consequences having gone this far down this path. So, you know, I think they're going to worry about their future and sanctions, I think, would be kind of on the margins of their calculus right now. It's more about their survival and being able to maintain this level of power. They're certainly going to look for immunity if they were to stand down on their own. We'll have more in just a moment. But first, you are listening to Press Conference USA on The Voice of America. Our guest is Keith Mines, director of the Latin American program at the U.S. Institute of Peace, which is a nonpartisan, congressionally funded policy group based here in Washington. And we are talking about Haiti, what measures can be taken to stem the violence and engender sustainable governance. I'm Carol Castiel. This is a reminder that our PCUSA podcast is available on our website at voanews.com slash PCUSA. You may also follow us on Twitter at Carol underscore Castiel or Connect with us on Facebook at Current Affairs with Carol Castiel. Here's a shout out to a new Facebook fan, Kay Roland from Monrovia, Liberia. If you want to hear your name and home country on the air, please send an email to PCUSA at VOANews.com or like us 
and leave a comment on our Facebook page. Back to our special guest, Keith Mines, with whom we are talking about Haiti. So, Keith, a couple of quick follow-ups on the gangs, particularly Jimmy Cherizier, who we know is Barbecue. This guy was a former police officer. Talk a bit about how he came to such power. How did he become so prominent and wield so much control? You know, he's one of these guys that just has terrific, I guess, street presence and capacity, a lot of it through sheer brutality. He's one of the gang leaders that is known to be the most brutal and not afraid to take out his ire on civilians. So there's a terrorism factor there, terrorizing the civilians of a certain area. He came to be kind of first among equals among a number of gangs, and there's some shady dealings that brought that about. And there's a lot of accusations and a lot of things under the surface there that were somewhat questionable. But he came to be kind of first among equals among a number of gangs and now presides over a kind of a coalition. From your perspective, Keith Mines, what does Barbecue want and what do the gangs want ultimately besides money and power? As you said, there is some type of political connection. Do they have a political message? Well, I don't think they thought through their end game when they started this. They just kind of fell into it. And gangs have been on the ascendancy in Haiti for quite a while. And one of the problems is that they have been, again, used by political actors at different times. All the way back to the early 2000s, there were gangs that were being associated with different factions, different people. President Aristide in his second term himself was associated with one of the gangs. And that was one of the controversies as he left office in the early 2000s. So there's been a lot of gang association over uh, quite a period of time. They've always kind of been a factor, but they've been, you know, a marginal player, a political leader could use them to bring in some muscle here and there. But this is the level that they have never had before. And again, that was through the vacuum in the collapse of the security institutions over the past several years. What he wants, it's a little bit of guesswork, but from what he's expressed and what we know about the kind of nature of gangs is that he really wants immunity. I think he wants to make sure that however this ends, he's not in the jail cell somewhere. And then he's starting to express it in terms of political power. He's playing the game that some terrorist group groups have played where they would express, we're on the side of the people. It's not our fault that the government collapsed. We can actually govern better than the government. He's doing a little bit of that. I'm not sure how far that goes and how that plays. And certainly now being sanctioned internationally, I don't think it allows him a space to do that. But again, other gangs have done the same thing. This is a very common play in, in El Salvador, a little bit quieter and without that level of bold leadership. But certainly gangs trying to be an illicit but accepted political player, at least locally. And I think he's trying to play that. He's trying to show that the government's incompetent, but I could do this, just put me in charge and trying to exert himself almost as this very brutal Robin Hood kind of character. So Keith, the minds just to make sure we understand, people are probably wondering, you know, why is the Haitian government unable to exert control over the gangs? But you more or less explained the reasons behind their current impotence, but underscore that again, why the government is just incapable as well as the national police. Yeah, and this is the point that I would make, if nothing else, that there has to be in solutions, there has to be a real tight tie-in between politics and security. The two have to be very tightly connected. I think there's a real danger now that there could be an effort to reestablish security without a parallel effort on the political side that basically ends up bolstering political actors that maybe shouldn't be as powerful as they are. So I think there's always that danger. And I think the two need to be done together. So you have this basic collapse of institutions, drop off in capacity following the withdrawal of most of the UN's mission in 2017 and 18, and then followed by the real collapse of the security institutions, the rise of the gang 
things. But with the assassination of President Moise, and nobody really even knows what happened. This is something, or somebody does, but you know, we certainly don't know publicly what exactly happened. So it's this very shady assassination with all sorts of different nuances to it and just left the country kind of frozen. Now, into that vacuum on the political side, on the governance side, Prime Minister Henri took over and has been kind of sanctioned by the international community, his leading what is kind of an interim government. But that's kind of left solutions frozen. It's something where there has not been to date a clear way forward. An election under an interim government that doesn't have popular support, that doesn't have real legitimacy would be difficult. And there's some constitutional issues with regards to elections that maybe could wait, but they, if they were to wait, they would certainly be best handled by a government that at least had some popular uh, will behind it. Now, the Montana group is this very interesting player. So you've kind of got two players now on the national front. The Montana group entered the fray as this coalition of civil society groups, political actors, and others from a fairly broad swath of Haitian society that got together and have made an accord that they would be available to govern. That was an interesting development for the past year. And that's kind of the two groups that are vying for some control, the Henry government, interim government, and then the Montana group. And so you've got those two with different proposals for forming an interim government. My own view is that it's going to have to be some kind of a blend of the two of them and even expanding out a little bit further. And we've talked a little bit at USIP. We have a good deal of expertise on national dialogues. And I think that's probably the way forward is to do some kind of a national dialogue, whether a large or small, but at least something that broadens participation and gets true Haitian voices in the mix where they can form a national consensus government that could lead in the interim period. That's fascinating information. Well, Keith Mines, that leads me to ask you about the UN proposal to send an international security assistance force. Now, of course, this was proposed by interim Prime Minister Ariel Henry, so it's not being imposed from the outside. Is this a good idea in your view? As you said, you need to have both the security and political tracks running in parallel, but still security needs to be secured, so to speak. So is this a good idea in your view? And what would be the composition of the mission from your understanding? So there's a lot of different levels in which there could be a security assistance mission. There's a lot of different levels and there's a lot of different ways of doing it. One level would be to just have a small force go in and retake the port, manage the port so things can get in and out. The problem with that, and I've been to this port, is you know, there's only a limited number of roads in and out. So if you haven't also secured the roads, you've now got a port that could be bottled up. And that's what started to happen, actually, when they began to encroach on the port. So you've got that as a problem, too. And it's not clear to me that a limited mission is going to be enough to actually open the floodgate of humanitarian assistance. There's a lot of other places that you could get things in and out, but they'd each have to be secured, I think. And then again, you've also got the roads that can be cut. So not to get into the tactical details, but there's some things I think that'll have to be thought through. But that's one way to do it would be a limited mission just to do humanitarian assistance. Again, getting that, for example, into Cite Soleil is still a big challenge. Beyond that, of course, would be something that reestablishes security across the country. And that's, I think, being considered by many. I think that's what Prime Minister Henri had in mind. I think that's what some in the international community are calling for. One of the downsides there is if it then empowers an interim government that doesn't have wide popular support, it now has become a political player. And that's something that I think people are very cautious about is when the international 
community in some form becomes a political player and this one side over another. And that's where, again, I think it's got to be done in close coordination with whatever political process, even if it's a small political process, but something that resets the governing alongside it. But on the issue of what's being proposed, what's being proposed is also a little bit interesting in the sense that it's basically calling for a coalition of the willing. So there wouldn't be a process for a UN peacekeeping mission without the Russians and the Chinese, of course. Chinese are actually a little bit more friendly to this, but the Russians, of course, wouldn't go along. So there couldn't be a full peacekeeping mission, as I understand the process. So the idea is, in a limited way, call for a coalition of the willing. Coalitions of the willing are typically led by the United States, and I'm not sure there's anyone else that could do this. I'm not sure there's anyone else that would be interested. The other likely suspects would be Canada, Brazil, Chile's got very good experience in Haiti. But again, that was for limited missions. That was not for this kind of a robust mission. And I'm not sure that anybody could do this without the logistical support of the United States and the kind of ability to mount a larger mission with planning and everything else. So those things are all in play. It's a proposal, but it's one that has to be picked up and taken up by somebody. And if that somebody is not there, then it's a proposal on the table that doesn't really go anywhere. It's one of the things though, I think that there needs to be a lot of creativity in thinking through what is possible. And there's a lot of baggage in Haiti for anything. So I think we need to start with that. Whatever is going to be done, there's going to be something where something similar was tried or was done and didn't go well. But I think we also need to be realistic about the times when things in Haiti were progressing. And there's a number of those. It's not just one continual slide of death and destruction. There's been really positive moments over the past 25 years when things were progressing. And I think we need to capture those lessons. And they basically start with a robust international presence that is very much in the background to Haitian security forces and to a Haitian-led political process. And so starting there, I think, is something that's really important. And I think the international community needs to just accept that it's a very fragile environment for receiving international assistance. It's a place that does not have the strong institutions to manage the international community and that comes in very heavy handed. And, and so those things need to be, I think, taken account of. There needs to be the mechanisms, the development of on the Haitian side, assistance to those that will manage the assistance on their side as well. Well, in terms of this particular proposal, what are the implications for the U.S. taking the lead? And if so, because it's not a regular peacekeeping mission, could, could it be blocked by the Russians or not? And how would such a mission be received on the ground by the people, in your view? So I believe there is a way to get this through, again, being the limited thing that it is. I think it can get through the UN system so it could be adopted. I believe it can be done by the General Assembly, if not this way. So I think there's a way it can get adopted. Again, it still leaves it up to somebody to pick it up. The one thing that I would add to the whole debate is I think there's going to have to be a lot of creativity in how something is designed. But there has been in many missions in the past, every kind of intervention if you will. And that's a term that I think we also misuse a lot. We hear intervention and we hear the 82nd Airborne Division and the Marines coming ashore. That's not always the way they happen. I mean, there's all sorts of different levels of intervention. And if we even want to call it that, there's one way that would be a robust international advisor and trainer and equipment presence behind a Haitian force. And a lot of that could actually be done by contractors, because I do think that there's going to be a situation where countries are going to be very careful about casualties. And I think we have to be honest about that, that there's not countries that are you know, just waiting for something like this to do where they have to explain to their citizens, you know, what happened to these five or 10 or 15 or 20 of their soldiers or police that have been killed. There will be casualties, I think, in this kind of an operation. And I think people would have to be 
ready for that. But one way to get around that is contractors. And not that they're expendable, but they can be enlisted in a way where they're taking that risk upon themselves as individuals, not on behalf of their nation. And there's been some very creative ways to use contract security. I know that's got a bad connotation, but Man, there's been really good creative examples of that where it has really gotten the country to a better place. There was a contingent in Darfur that was completely contracted and then was kind of the planning and the operational assistance that the AU force needed that went out then into the back of beyond in Darfur and really saved lives. In Haiti itself, the first U.S. civil contingent, the civilian police contingent, was all contracted. And they were Creole-speaking American police officers from across the country that were enlisted in a contract capacity because we don't have a national police force. It wasn't trying to get around anything. It's just that we couldn't contribute to a SIPPOL police force without something that we could contract. And we did that. It was very effective. And again, for all the things that went wrong in Afghanistan and, and other peacekeeping missions, there was always a large contracted force that was very effective. I was in Mazar-e-Sharif. We had a large contingent of Colombians and Salvadorans that were just spectacular never any issues with human rights or anything else. They were just really well led. So some of the problems with contractors, obviously, that's what kind of got us into this mess was some contractors that killed the president. So I, again, I get that this is controversial, but I would hope we don't eliminate options because of one bad experience in a situation that was not well controlled or led. I think there's going to be a need for this sort of creativity. A few rapid fire questions before we close, Keith Mines. Are you seeing Russians infiltrating in terms of anti-American propaganda in Haiti? Talk about that if you uh, can. I mean, the Russians, their propaganda is everywhere to include Haiti. I don't know that I could point to something in particular. And I think it's always just meant to confuse and, of course, to put a bad light on the United States. I wouldn't blame them for this. I think there's enough internal to Haiti. But some of the negativity, I think, is not going to be helpful that's being generated inside Haiti, where there's just an aversion to certain kinds of assistance. I think that's not going to be helpful. I think there's going to have to be a meeting halfway between those that are opposed to intervention and those that are pro-intervention, where you know it has to be shaped according to Haitian desires and concerns. Concerns. So I would guess there's some things in that realm, but I can't point to them specifically. How popular is the Montana group that you referred to? And do you think that the Montana group of uh, civil society groups looking for sustainable change would be willing to talk to the government and vice versa in terms of the political track? Yeah, they've had touches with each other, but what they haven't had is a fully coming together. I think the answer is going to be a little bit of a push by the international community. I think there's really a need at this point for a group of elders or sisters or, you know, somebody that can come together on the international side, prominent, prominent people, former leaders, peacemakers, some of those big names that can come together and help to guide the process with a small staff. So I think a small team of prominent individuals, as we've had in almost every peace process that I'm aware of, South Africa, Central America, Colombia, there's always this group of prominent individuals. And I think that would be helpful. And I think it's something that could help to kind of facilitate the dialogue and then reinforce it and get the two sides together. So they have had some touches, but they haven't come together. I think Montana's got much broader reach than anything else. It could probably itself still have even broader reach into the countryside. And again, this is all difficult with the security situation, but I think there's ways to creatively manage that to where there's a national dialogue-like process where there's even broader voices that would come together. So I think between a group of outside individuals helping to facilitate and then the dialogue process itself with a little bit of a push towards the government to get the two sides to accept some kind of a unity government is probably the most likely way forward.
What about the region? Are they coming together? We talk about the UN, but what about the region itself? Are there enough nations? CARICOM, I'm not sure what the governmental body is. Are they concerned also about Haiti and what are they doing? It is actually one of the hardest things of being Haiti is that it doesn't have close associations. It never has. It's the French-speaking country in the Caribbean, which is English-speaking or Spanish-speaking as its neighbor is. It doesn't fit cleanly into the rest of the hemisphere either. So it's always been a bit of an orphan, but it's been one of the things that's made it hard for Haiti. And even our association, going back to the foundation of Haiti in the 1800s, was very, very stilted because of the slavery issue. So it's a country that's been on its own for a long time. But there's a lot of goodwill. The other nations of the Caribbean are very focused on the Dominican Republic, of course, most of all, but there's a lot of goodwill. And CARICOM, I think, actually, as, as a place goes that could provide that good offices role that I spoke of earlier, CARICOM is actually obviously one of the most likely that could bring in some of the ex-prime ministers, foreign ministers from the region to help with a solution. So it's got enough friends now. Canada is very close to Haiti, as are we. We've got a, an incredible diaspora of Haitians that are very concerned about the country. And so there's a body of friends, but it has suffered from a lot of isolation. I point that out, again, just as one of those things that's made everything a little bit harder. So as we coalesce around solutions, we need to stay with them. And it can't be a one-off where people come in with great flourishes and then six months later are out the door. It's got to be a very consistent assistance package that Haiti gets and a friendly response to its needs and its way of doing things. And Keith Mines, are you relatively optimistic about the long-term prospects for change for Haiti to be able to govern itself. Yeah, I mean, I'm always optimistic about Haiti. I think it's an extraordinary country. One of the things that I'm optimistic about is that there's a very dynamic civil society in Haiti that can buttress any democratic process. So it's really just waiting for the right formula. But I think all the rudiments are there. It's a very energetic, creative, dynamic populace that is kind of ready to go to work to rebuild its country. Keith Mines is the director of the Latin American program at the U.S. Institute of Peace. Keith, thank you for your time and your critical insights about Haiti. We greatly appreciate it. Thanks, Carol. It's great to be here. Press Conference USA on The Voice of America was produced in Washington with technical assistance from Rick Pantaleo. I'm Carol Castiel. Please join me again next week for another Press Conference USA on The Voice of America.